This is World Beyond War, a new podcast. Stein, your podcast host from World Beyond War, and I'm really excited to be kicking off the new year of 2021 with an episode that I hope will be deeply inspirational. We'll be talking to Suman Kana Agawal, the founder of Shanti Sahyog, a Gandhian non-governmental organization devoted to nonviolence. Shanti Sahyog is an affiliate of World Beyond War, and we're going to be talking to Suman about the work her organization does and about the legacy of Mohandas Gandhi, the great advocate of nonviolence. And I hope we dig into some philosophical and historical topics as well. Suman is in New Delhi, India, and it's morning over there, which means it's fairly late at night here where I am in Brooklyn in the United States. So I may be a little tired, which is okay, because I think I usually talk too fast anyway, but I know Suman is a morning person, so I'm gonna begin by saying good morning, Suman. Good morning. First, I'd like to hear about your organization, and then I'd also like to hear about you. First, tell me what is this organization? I would like to begin by thanking you for this opportunity of having a dialogue with you, a sharing with you, and to be able to present um, uh, you know, my organization and the work that we do, and then maybe some philosophical things on Gandhi. Uh, that's fine. So I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Well, I feel the universe has sent it <laughs> to take our <laughs> mission forward, which is, of course, a common vision as both we both work for a world beyond war. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I should say I've always been very inspired by Gandhi. I, I mean, you and I spoke before this, and I mentioned that I recently read a biography called The Great Soul, which was um, so moving. I've also read his autobiography twice, and it re- really has meant a lot to me. So I'm, I'm so much looking forward to talking to you about Gandhi. What does it mean to have an organization devoted to Gandhian principles or Gandhian nonviolence? I would request you to read my latest book on Gandhi, which mm-hmm. is called The Science of Peace. Okay. And this book, my first two books are very academic, mm-hmm. very okay. scholarly, very philosophical. This book is, I've written it for youngsters and in very simple language, in, like a textbook on understanding Gandhi. And by the way, my daughter made me write that way. She oh, said, wow. you're so high known. Why can't you just write simple words? Excellent, you know? sure. So yeah. then you read that. So my first chapter in the book is understanding conflict, you know, mm-hmm. uh, understanding war, uh, the types of violence. It's a, you know, it's very, so, yeah. so 
for conflict resolution. Great. And okay, I'll tell you why I started it also. I mean, now I'll just come to the latest thing which I've been doing mm-hmm. since one year because it was Gandhi's 150th birth anniversary. You know that all over yeah. the world. So yes. then I thought we must do something uh, uh, for conflict resolution, which which should shake up the system, right? Because if you notice, Gandhi's all of Gandhi's non-violent resistance, it changed law, it changed mm-hmm. political law, and yes. Gandhi always said that politics is like the coils of a snake. Today, you cannot get out of it. You, mm-hmm. you, you, the personal is political. The political is personal. We all vote. We are in democracies. So politics is not something out there. It's what you and I want. Right. Don't they say that people get the government they deserve? Mm-hmm. Into it, what is politics? You and I are political. In democracies, you know, we have uh, in a new country, uh, you know, you have shown that Biden could become president and not Trump. It's a mm-hmm. triumph for democracy, isn't it? Yeah. It's a very big thing, you know. And yeah. I think ultimately, Americans were feeling so ashamed that what is this happening? And they just, you know, imagine Mike Pence not being with Trump anymore. Just right. imagine nobody coming to see him off. Uh, I don't know. In any, so, so, so then I thought that, and uh, please remember, Mark, I have been doing workshops on conflict resolution mm-hmm. since 1987. Oh, wow. Okay. And now, yeah. in one of this is, I'll tell you why the how this conflict is. You're asking me about conflict. Yeah. So I would always tell my part, workshop participants that nonviolence is a science. Right? It is not an emotion. It is not a sentiment. It is not a feeling. It is not a. It's not a mood. I, Gandhi says that. I don't. Gandhi, if you read Gandhi, always says non. The science of non-violence. The science of satyagraha means non-violent resistance. It's a science. So then, I would tell people that, like any other science, non non-violence also has a definite subject matter. Number one, that is the four characteristics of a science, a definite subject matter. Number two, it has to be learned. That is why you and I went to college and did our masters mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Number three, only when you learn it adequately can you apply it properly. Yeah, like physics. Right. Only A, A, A to O will equal water. No? Not, right. you know, so yeah. I mean, like, you know, you cannot mix something else and you'll get water. Yeah. Right. And number number last fourth characteristic I took is that not that a science solves problems. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? Yeah. Electricity. Okay. I mean physics has science yeah. has solved the problem of, of uh, darkness and cold through electricity. Hasn't it? Yeah. Like that's one and so on, medical science. Whatever you know, internet also is a result of science, no? IT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So science solve. Please listen very carefully. Science solves problems, and then I would tell my workshop participants. It was always for two days. You break up in groups now, and I'm giving you a problem, which is uh, the war system. Mm-hmm. The war system is a problem, and then uh, you have to use non-violence. How will you solve this problem using non-violence? Because non-violence is a science. So right. I would give it to them. And then I would also explain to them that step one, number one is, you had, this is all Gandhi. Huh? 
Mm -hmm. I've just that you have to first of all define the problem. It's so easy to say the war, war. We are against war. What, right. what war? It's so right. vague. Define right. it. Why is there a war? Define that. Number one is the financial resources spent on war. Three point five million dollars per minute mm -hmm. is the global military expenditure. Right? Financial resources. Number yeah. two, the human resources. The mm. best minds of all pre previous centuries have been engaged in making better nuclear weapons. How to destroy humankind Horrible. from bows and arrows to the nuclear button? You push and you'll have nuclear winter in a matter of half a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the resources. Number three, accidental nuclear war can happen any minute. Right. So I had to define. So I defined it with them. No, I'm teaching them. And number four was the ecological imbalance. It is a result of majorly because of the waste that goes into the environment through mm -hmm. military industry, you know, where you make guns, ammunition, powder, etc. All that, that waste, and plus nuclear weapon testing. Right. Yeah. So, so these are the four things. So you have to define the problem. Please, this is all Gandhi, not me. Gotcha. As a Gandhian scholar, the least I could do was explain Gandhi. Now, I also told them at the moment, eighteen thousand children die every day. Mm -hmm. thousand children and I told them personalize it think if you were poor and that I have actually seen it in the slums no? a woman a baby dies she doesn't have half a dollar for an injection right so I've seen this poverty firsthand when you work in the slums I live in a poor country come on there yeah. are at least millions below the poverty line I'm not in the so-called first world or under you know privileged world so anyway so I said that is the problem we have to get rid of that. Okay. Now the next thing is what supports the war system? It's very scientific, no? Non-violence is a science. Mm -hmm. So you have to, what are the supports? So there is the uh, there is the military industrial complex, you know, no money mm -hmm. in number two, the logic of deterrence to prevent mm -hmm. war, which is based on mistrust, huh? Fear. Yes. Right. And relationships only work when they're based on trust. And mm. the laws of life apply everywhere. You can't say in my personal life, trust is the most important thing in my political mistrust. Mm. Let, that's another matter. Then right. Right. Uh, the glory of nationalism. So mm. we have to make our minds, are, we, are you an American first or a global citizen? Am I an Indian or a global citizen? Last thing is fundamentalism. That also one has to explain what is fundamentalism, how it is not a religion. Again, it's a whole big chapter, forget it. So these mm. are the supports. And the last one is, People, the secret for being of being Gandhi, Gandhi's mantra or secret is what? For him, any injustice, the war system is an injustice. Okay. Mm -hmm. the most important was how am I supporting the war system and how can I change it right. for Gandhi? Mm -hmm. You know, that is the main thing. <clears throat> he never said, how can my country change it? The system right. change it, the change it or Mark change it. He said, how can I? So mm -hmm. that is how now, so how can I change it? How am yeah. I supporting it? How can I change it? Now look, Mark, my workshop participants went home. Mm -hmm. I could not go home. I could not go home, no? So right. there I was stuck with this. So I was grappling with this. What should be done? How are we supporting the war system? And I'm putting it very briefly that all of us, because we have legitimized violent conflict resolution all the adults living in democracies, we have said 
when there will be a conflict at the international level, we will use in the last resort war to resolve it. Maybe we begin with negotiation or whatever, but ultimately we'll kill each other to resolve it, war. That is the first cause of war. Of course, it is also deterrence, military industrial complex, all that. But the first cause of war, applying the scientific method of, what is the scientific method? You formulate a hypothesis, test it, reject it, formulate another one, check it, reject it, formulate yeah. another one, you come to the first cause of war. Okay? So now we people have are the cause of war because we are the government. The tax yeah. money comes. Ta you know, the all the defense expenditure comes from my tax. We pay defense right. tax. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, how will it all change? It will change when people in the world, you and I, we politically legitimize non-violent conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. Okay. Now to do that, what has to be done? If you can come up with another idea, please do. We are very mm -hmm. open. To Let right. greater well beyond war come up. But in my uh, uh, analysis, I feel that here I'm now coming to the international initiative, which we want uh, world beyond war to also take up and other people not because it is ours or it is shanti sayog not at all not at all please i'm above this ego thing for me the greater good is very very important right and nothing with shanti sayog at all you know but we i so we feel that this can only happen when all the governments around the world they politically legitimize non-violent conflict resolution mm -hmm. through the of only the introduction of non-violent defense, uh, you know, worldwide, in defense systems worldwide. Nature abhors a vacuum. When you say no war, no violent defense, military defense, I'm not saying let's substitute it at once, but we need non-violent defense. And by the way, I am only a Gandhian expert, only. But there are non-violent defense experts who have mm. been working concept for the part, past quarter of a century. You know, Gene Sharp at Harvard, he's no more, he's a friend of mine. He's the director of the non-violence yeah. program at Harvard, Robert Burroughs in Australia. You know, so there is a blueprint of non-violent defense. All we need is the political will to put it into practice. So number one, we are asking the three, we are urging every nation for three, to introduce three things in their defense systems worldwide without giving up the present military defense. Please keep it. A parallel non-violent defense be introduced, only introduced. We are not saying, we don't have the courage to substitute. Only introduced because a lot of people say, oh, non-violent defense, what will we do if Pakistan attacks? Right. So you have killing machinery attack, go to war. But let's introduce, that's number one. Just introduce without abandoning the present military defense, number okay. one. Number two, the, the legal democratic option to have a training either in violent defense, military defense or non-violent defense. Right. So this is only democratic when you go to defend your country, you want to learn how to kill, it has to be learned. Mm -hmm. It's not natural to know how to use a gun or how to use a machine gun. You don't, it's not innate. Right. You don't come out of your mother's womb knowing how to use a gun, you learn. You learn how to go to war. Right. Very rigorously. In the same way, you have to learn how not to kill. So that is why at least the option should be there. Number three is the legal democratic option for taxpayers to divert from military defense to nonviolent defense. 
you know, if I am a pacifist, if my heart is not in war, why force me? You know, don't force me. So right. you please, the, the, on our income tax returns, there should be two up, two boxes. You can mm -hmm. tick mark military defense or non-violent defense. Yeah. Let's say, Mark, if half the taxpayers all over the world sign up, what will happen? This $3.5 million per minute, you would still have half of it going for military defense. Half would come for the study of non-violence. Right now, we don't know how yeah. to do it. We don't have the tools, the skills of non-violent conflict resolution. Funding is a problem. You'll have your money to start your staff academy, non-violence academy, books, non-violence R&D. You know how much R&D goes into military, non-violence. So if we start today, maybe in 100 years, what is 100 years in world history or 50 years? We yeah. would know how to do it. We wouldn't go to war. And maybe... Yeah great-grandchildren at that time look back and say, my God, you know, they actually killed each other? How crazy was <laughs> that? Right. right. And by the way, this is very legitimate. It is based upon the United Nations uh, Convention on Human Rights, Article 18. Every individual has the right to freedom of conscience. Mm -hmm. So it's legitimate. My conscience doesn't allow me, don't force me. Your conscience allows, go ahead and kill. Right. My conscience has not felt good about the taxes I've paid. Oh yeah. And the other thing is the preamble of the United Nations Charter. Why is it formed? To save succeeding generations from the scourge of war. Yeah. That is the aim, the scourge of war. As of now, what is the United Nations doing? Ask me. I have been a plenary speaker at international conferences. So many of them. Let's say I go to Japan. I'm mm -hmm. invited as a plenary speaker or to Brazil. They will also host me. And because I'm a plenary speaker, they'll give me a suite, not just a room. Of course, yeah. I'll make a fancy speech at the plenary. I will do a workshop on conflict resolution. We'll have a cultural evening and we will come home. Peace is done. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm so frustrated. What did I do? But <laughs> yeah. What we need is, the, so actually I've, I've approached United Nations to do it. I went to the UN headquarters here, Eric Fault. He's telling me, oh, it, uh, how can we just do this? You know, like nobody will listen. Right. So I said, but this is what you want. So what I'm trying to say, Mark, a concrete alternative, non-violent defense. Let's start yeah. with, we have led Shanti Sayog and World Beyond War and many others. We have legitimized non-violence in our hearts. Let's legitimize yeah. it politically. Okay? It's way to go. It's the only way that works. I mean, you're talking about legitimizing nonviolent defense and so-called violent defense. The fact is only one of the two of them work and that's nonviolent defense. I met somebody, he was a colonel in the army actually. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he told me that, uh, uh, you know, you're a Gandhian scholar. You have never done any grassroots work on Gan uh, work. What is this intellectualizing of mm -hmm. Gandhi? So that also really hit me. I mean, I thought he's right. What am I doing? Fancy speeches, get a standing ovation. You know, how, how egocentric I am. You know, wow. if I yeah. go down, the ego is coming there. So then I thought, no, I must do something. Now, Mark, I'd always thought, this was right from my teenage times, that when I will have my own money, I will educate 25 slum girls. Mm -hmm. 25 slum girls, you know? So then what happened? So uh, in 2004, and you know, Gandhi, there are two things that really hit me. This also, 
you know, you may call it coincidence. I call it synchronicity. My husband, he got me, he had gone, uh, uh, you know, he works for the World Bank. So okay. he, when he came back, uh, he was, he tries to tell me that you don't bring your non-violence home. <laughs> so he brought me a book on Gandhi's sayings, you know, Gandhi's sayings, very beautiful book. He had put uh, the, the bookmarker on one page. When I opened it, it said, an ounce of uh, practice is better than a ton of theory. Huh, an nice. ounce of practice is better than a ton of theory. Right. I got such a shock. I thought, my God, look at this. All I'm doing wow. is theory. No practice. So and it then, was fun to begin a practice. Yeah. And then, then, then another quotation said, poverty is the worst form of violence. Wow. Gandhi says, Poverty is the worst form of violence. You know, this hit me because again, you know, when the seed is ready, only then something happens. So maybe the seed was ready. And so that is how in 2004, when this happened, the community service wing of Shanti Sayog was born. Mm -hmm. We started out by sending 25 girls to school, paying for everything. It was very difficult because those slum women, they would take the girls with them. They would mm -hmm. earn a few you know, for the month, add to right. the family. And they would not, uh, they, they doubted us, skeptical. No, no, you're not going to pay for their uniform books and all that. You're just saying that. But of mm -hmm. course, we did it. And then now I have a waiting list of 600 children who want to go to school. We work in 17 slums in, Kal in Kalkaji, Goenburi area where I live. And also in Tuglakabad village in the field mm -hmm. of education, health, women empowerment, skill development and peace. And the Shanti Sayog Center for Peace and Conflict Resolution, which is, an, which is a unit of Shanti Sayog, and we, we, that mm -hmm. is an affiliate of World Beyond War, that was born mm -hmm. only in 2014. That Shanti Sayog, all this work that I did for this underprivileged, which I'm continuing to do, this, the universe made me do. My heart was not in it. Mm -hmm. The money came, people came, you know, Gandhi, I, I could not not do it. Because the opportunity was there to help? No, no, the opportunity was forced on me. All I had wanted to do was educate 25 slum girls. Wow. But, but and I, I never thought I will do so much social work. I'm not cut out for social work. Come on, I'm a Gandhian scholar. <laughs> I have to write books, give lectures, do workshops, not work with the poor. Right. But the universe made me do it. And I, I had to go along because the money came, the people came, you know, the whole caravan was there. So what to do even now? And of course, there's only one thing you may have heard about uh, NGOs all over. I don't know if abroad it's true, but a lot of them are dishonest and people start an NGO just to make money. Yeah. But in my case, I wanted to help people. I had enough money. Mm -hmm. you know, so I never, I've never taken a single penny from here. I didn't need it. God saw the intention. And so I became an agent to help people. The universe runs Shanti Sayog. Yeah. I have a confession to make. And the confession is that I was never really interested in Gandhi. <laughs> okay. But after, <laughs> since I have to speak the truth, you know, today. Sure. So I was sure. really interested in Gandhi per se. Of course, Gandhi was Gandhi, you know, of course, somebody to be, well, obviously done a lot and all that, but I was not really interested in Gandhi. But after my master's, uh, I was, um, you know, I did my, uh, uh, well, I was 21 when I finished my master's and I got a job as a 
lecturer of philosophy in Delhi University. And then it was time to do my PhD. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, uh, for my PhD, I had wanted to do it in the letter Om. You know Om? Mm -hmm. Om, you say when you meditate? Om, yeah? So yeah. that is the, they say it is the prime syllable of the universe. Uh, because I was very much inclined uh, towards spirituality and philosophy. Here mm -hmm. also, I must tell you that um, I'm an only child. And so my father, you know, I, and I write well. I've had a flair for writing short stories, articles, poems, ever since I was 15, 14, you know. So right. I was publishing these stories in journals. So my father was very keen that I should do my master's in, in English literature mm -hmm. and not philosophy. So then there was a big tiff and a lot of silence at the <laughs> dining table and you know, a war of wills. And uh, I told him, no, he says, you write so well. There's a future waiting for you in English literature. I said, my heart is in philosophy. I want to know who I am. I want, you know, all those questions. And in fact, I was writing poetry as soon as, as when I was as young as 16 on such things. Maybe I can share with you sometime. So I told him, no, it has to be philosophy. So anyway, ultimately I won and I uh, <laughs> uh, did my master's in philosophy. And then of course, uh, when it came to um, doing my PhD, I wanted to do it in the letter Om. Now, okay. now the problem was that, uh, um, you know, my mother died when I was six years old. Okay. And my father, he put me into boarding school, a very fancy, expensive school. We come from a very aristocratic family. Okay. So he sent me to a very expensive boarding school uh, in the mountains in Dhalousie, uh, exclusive. It was run by French and Belgian nuns of okay. the Sacred Heart, the Sacred Heart, Sacre Coeur, they call it in French. They have a house in France, in Belgium. Yeah, there I learned French instead of Sanskrit. But then you cannot do your PhD in the letter Om without knowing Sanskrit. That would be dishonest, you know. You have to go at least a little bit to the original sources. You can't yeah. just rely on translations. It would not be authentic. Okay, so that's why I did not know Sanskrit. But there was another thing um, I was very clear about, and that was that I want to do my PhD in an Indian topic not in Marx or Hegel or, you know, mm -hmm. not like that. So now Indian topic, what to do since I don't know Sanskrit. Uh -huh. So then I chose Gandhi. Oh, wow. So it's only because you, yeah, you didn't yeah. take your first choice. <laughs> it was a forced choice. I right. mean, I mean uh, the universe made me study Gandhi. Yes, but so, sure. so <laughs> since today I have to be candid and honest with you. So please, I was not enamored by Gandhi we all respect him as the father of the nation. I'm not saying, you know, but like I was not really gaga on Gandhi. So, well, but then I chose him for my PhD thesis. And then, of course, I had to read Gandhi. Mm -hmm. And that is the first time that I read biographies of Gandhi. I read Louis, Fish, Louis Fisher's story of Gandhi. Maybe mm -hmm. you've uh, read it too. I don't know. And, that was uh, an early one, right? That was one of the early ones. That was the first yeah. book I, biography yeah. I read. No, I did not and read that one. I am mentioning this because uh, what struck me was not so much the biography, but um, uh, but Mark, uh, uh, the what what struck me was that on the back cover of the book, you know, it was a paperback. Mm -hmm. uh, there was Gandhi's worldly possessions were listed. Mm -hmm. I was so shocked. You know, I thought, how can this be? Because as I told you, I grew up in a rich family, breakfast right. on the table, you know, honey and jam and marmalade and toast and egg and whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. So 
I mean, what what his worldly possessions were. I think I've seen that photograph. His glasses. Uh, it's only the you know he has a the Gita. Yeah. He has two pairs of shoes. You know, one for walking and one for whom is that kharaon which you wear right. with the, that funny thing. You know, that's very good. You don't get kidney problem. And of course, the you know, and also his chappals and two sets of spectacles, right. and of course one one pumice stone. Mm. You know, he was very. Uh, that was his only worldly possession in the sense well, of he was very particular about clean feet. What do well, you I know it? he walked a lot, so I'm sure his feet took a lot of um, healing. <laughs> and yeah. by the way, Mark, there are a lot of stories, you know, because Gandhi did not waste anything. So there are a lot of stories about when they moved camp, you know, mm -hmm. the pumice got left behind. And then he sent people to get that pumice stone, would not buy a new one. Uh -huh. you know? A lot wow. of stories about that. In fact, as you know, perhaps that he wrote his history making decisions on the back of used envelopes. <laughs> he would not waste anything, a, a, a right. pencil, whatever, you know, right till the stub. And right. uh, very, very conscious of environment, etc. you know, all that we are doing today. And mm -hmm. in fact, it was very frustrating for his followers sometimes. Sarojini Naidu is a woman, uh, she's a poetess. Mm -hmm. She was contemporary, uh, she wrote poetry. And she has come up with lots of quips about Gandhi. And I share with you one. It takes a lot of money to keep Bapu living in poverty. It takes a lot of money to keep Bapu means he was father. Na? In India, right. you call Bapu his father. So it takes a lot of <laughs> money to keep Bapu living in poverty. In poverty. Why was that the case? Because uh, he would not waste anything. And I just told you, ah. if the pumice stone got left behind, you know, then yeah. you have to go and get that pumice stone when you moved camp. Oh. You couldn't get a new one. Yeah. And then also, as you know, when he came to Delhi, he would stay in the Harijan colony. Harijan is the lowest caste mm -hmm. to clean all the toilets and stuff. So he stayed in their colony. And then, of course, you had to have security or whatever for him. So right. that is why he said that, you know, he always wants to do the right thing. And he has a will of his own and his own everything. He will not listen. And so it takes a lot of money to keep Bapu living in poverty. <laughs> when I started my PhD on Gandhi, it was very, very irritating. Whatever mm -hmm. Gandhi was very irritating. Why? Because the first quotation, you know, which I read about, uh, which he says, he says, and I quote, and this influenced me very deeply. I'll tell you how. He says that you pluck out my eyes and I can live. You mm -hmm. pluck out my ears and I can live pluck out my nose and I can live. But if you pluck out, you pluck out any organ of my body and I will live. But if you take away my belief in God, I will die. Hmm. Now, this was a big problem because at that time I was an atheist and a Marxist. This was when I was 24 years old. Please, mm -hmm. when I started studying. Of course, I'm a Hindu and we grew up in a Hindu milieu. You know, it's very spiritual right. milieu. There is always a temple in the house. There are prayers every morning. You know, the lamp is lit, meditation, all that. Mm -hmm. and fasting. Of course, I did all that. But, you know, it, it was superfluous. I was not spiritual. You know, I was just, because I'm born a Hindu, you know, I'll, uh, I I was following the Hinduism. In fact, my, uh, my you know, I come from the second caste. The, that's called the Kshatriya caste. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So now in that caste, it's also the the royalty class, the aristocratic right. class, and unfortunately, we were also very wealthy. Unfortunately, 
So okay. my, uh, you know, so I just want to share this with you because sure. talk about the caste, you know, like, um, so my grandmother, she was paranoid. Uh, you know, when the person came to clean our toilets, who was uh, from the lowest caste, he mm -hmm. had to remove everything from the bathroom and even open the tap. He must clean without touching anything. And wow. she had a separate yeah. mug for him in which she gave him tea. So I would tell her that, look, if this man went home and, uh, you know, had a shower and then he came and cooked my food, I would eat it. So she was so right. shocked. Oh my God, you've grown up with those Christian nuns. You become Christian. You're no longer a Hindu. So it was a big fight. When my Muslim friends came over, she mm. would not give them the plates we use every day. She had separate plates for them. One of the things I've learned about Gandhi, which I did not know, and by the way, here in the United States, the way most of us figured out who Gandhi was was by seeing the movie starring Ben Kingsley, which was a very good movie. Um, so a few times, but what that movie doesn't really show you is that his greatest struggle, and tell me if you think I'm right, his greatest struggle that he spent most of his time on when he was back in India after, after returning from South Africa was in curing India of the caste system and that that was his, uh, his mission. Do, do I have that right? Uh, not really. Okay. But it, please remember, I'm a professor of philosophy. I have okay. taught philosophy for 40 years of my life. I'm now retired. Okay. And uh, I'm also a Gandhian scholar who's been teaching Gandhi <laughs> since 1987, doing workshops and teaching graded courses on Gandhi mm. in foreign universities. Sure. Like John well, that's why I'm asking you. Um, now, mm -hmm. Gandhi, he took 11 vows in his life. Okay, mm -hmm. seven from the Hindu tradition. Like you have the Ten Commandments, if you're Christian. Oh. In the same way, if you are a Hindu, there is something called the Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Yoga actually means union with the divine. So it's actually mm -hmm. your soul which has to unite with that. The, the yoga which you see is only one very small minimal part to keep right. yourself a sound mind and a sound body. You know, so now he took those seven vows. Every Hindu is supposed to take. That is truth, non-violence, non-possession, not to steal. That includes intellectual property rights, etc. You know, I can't mm. give you a whole lecture on that. Of course. <laughs> four more, four more, which are not from the tradition, Hindu tradition, but which were needed at that time. You know, and so one of those vows was removal of untouchability. But that was only one of them. There were three others. The, uh, you know, ah, so, which is, so that was, so it's wrong to say that he was totally engaged in that. You have the benefit in India that you did not learn about Gandhi from, from a movie, which was no. just one portrait. But that was all about the struggle with England. Yeah. That was all about independence from England. Okay. I must say that Attenborough did mm -hmm. a very good job no Indian could have made such a good movie. Wow. You know, he studied, he studied Gandhi for about 12 years. Yes. It is very difficult to pick and choose from one life. As it is, it's a very lengthy movie, three hours. Mm -hmm. Yes. But he just and hit it on the head. I have seen it 21 times. <laughs> wow. And I'll tell you why. Because my guide, my professor, who mm -hmm. was my guide in my PhD thesis, 
he he has he wanted to write an article on the movie so okay. we went together and then of course uh, we took our torches and wrote on our notebooks so we ended up seeing the movie 21 times to get mm -hmm. a good article on it and wow. by the way i used the movie in my workshops great like yeah. i show the salt march and then i analyze it i show the fasting and then i analyze it that how you know non violent resistance is in essence spiritual mm -hmm. in essence you know and then the salt march what happens how you pick an issue pick uh, the time the place the means the right. ends all that you know it's a whole uh, thing in itself yeah i think what the what the movie gave yeah. to us i mean i shouldn't make fun of it for for being presenting only one side of it because obviously it got me interested enough that i then read his autobiography he had so many missions independence from england was one of several okay. do you remember when gandhi almost threw his wife out she because he he had him he had said everybody will clean their own shit you know go out and mm -hmm. sort of so whatever yeah. not manually right. no not that not that person who is from the low caste will do it we have to clean our toilets ourselves and then she said nothing doing i'm not going to do that i've done a lot but i'm not going to do this you know right. you never let me have my jewels which people were giving me when we were getting a send off you made a trust out of that so i've gone with you for everything but this i'm not going to do and then he catches her and he says you know you yes my he's going to throw her out of the house right remember the very vivid well, scene so you know that this plus 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 let me complete plus yeah. he in his uh, uh, in his ashrams you know ashram mm -hmm. where he He lived his life in a community all his life, right? Because of influence of Tolstoy and Ruskin, right? You know the to yeah. Tolstoy farm, right? Didn't he call it Tolstoy yeah. farm? Yeah, yeah, Tolstoy farm, right? And then the Phoenix farm, and then right. Sabarmati ashram in India, and all that. Mm -hmm. But there also Harijans were allowed, and they sat and they were they would eat with him. Right. So a lot of people stopped their funding because how is he doing that? You know, I talk to people about Gandhi a lot because I am a pacifist and I have as as you have, you know, Gandhi I have been very influenced by by Gandhi. I've also been influenced by Martin Luther King, Thoreau, Tolstoy, you know, Socrates, you know, I I also have a degree in philosophy, just a bachelor's degree. Oh. But um, no no PhD for for Mark, but uh, <laughs> but um so um Socrates is my favorite philosopher. Oh really? Well, I mean, I I find him him and Gandhi to be certainly very yeah. um, compatible. I taught Greek philosophy for a long time. Wow! When I got my degree in philosophy from um, University of Albany, State University of New York, my specialty was actually Plato. Okay, uh, yeah. okay. Yeah, Great. and now let me get into something controversial here. As I'm sure you know, Plato is often not. considered um let's say he's not in fashion you know it's sort of weird to use the term fashion when we're talking about life philosophies but more people have a negative reaction to the name plato if they have a reaction at all than than a, a positive one and i would say i'm i'm concerned that the great peacemakers and by this i mean tolstoy thoreau gandhi mm -hmm. martin luther king i'm even going to put in john lennon here all mm -hmm. th there is a tendency to really emphasize their human flaws 
So let's get let's talk about that scene in the movie where you're talking about. That was a very moving scene. You're right, where he is angry at his wife for mm. um, refusing to to do a task mm. that, that what was considered an untouchable task. Now I would say that to the people I have communicated with, including myself, we were disturbed that he was physically sort of threatening to his wife. And there's this idea that he was, uh, you know, not fully respecting of women. What, is there, what do you think of this? And that this is something that might have, that might be why that scene, instead of us getting the really positive message, mm. you know, that he was urging his wife to, to accept, you know, maybe he should have been more considerate of her journey if she wasn't there yet, if she wasn't spiritually there yet to say, okay, I will do a task that is an untouchable task, does he have a right to be rough with her? You know, so that's, what do you think of that? <laughs> no, I think what you are doing is ringside commentary. Okay. It's ringside commentary. And please remember, this was when early on in the marriage, you know, have you not evolved since you were 19 and 20? Uh, is going sure. to the disco yeah. league as important to you as maybe reading a book? Mm -hmm. You know, you're a teenager, you, I've also been a teenager. So going to the disco and, you know, was very, very important. Friends were very important. What people said about you was very important. How I look, all that. Today, mm -hmm. I don't care. <laughs> I'd rather read a book or have a quiet evening yeah. with friends than go to a disco. Of course, we still dance or whatever. But, you know, priorities change. You evolve. Right? I totally agree. And that, yeah, and that, that explains. Very early in their marriage. It was in South Africa. It was very early on in their marriage, you know? And mm -hmm. so it's obvious when you feel that, you know, like my, uh, my uh, wife, so she should also sort of follow me. So, you know, you are looking at it from a patriarchal angle. It's patriarchy, not women rights. But actually, Gandhi was the greatest feminist. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you heard his quotation. He says, judge a country by the place it gives to its women mm, and yeah. he was the first person who brought women into the freedom struggle he was the greatest feminist ever in right. fact he even says that non-violence women can women only can practice it better than men i'm with you on that so it was not patriarchy it was not inequality and uh, you know you are really judging it absolutely as an outsider come well, on have empathy no, Suman, I, I want to tell you, I'm actually not expressing my own belief. I'm expressing, ah, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm all in with Gandhi. I am all in with Gandhi. No, no, no I'm, Yeah, but I'm, a, I'm expressing what has become a trendy sort of thing for people to say when you bring up the name Gandhi in conversation. I mean, I totally agree that we all evolve. But it is something that I think has to be dealt with. And I want to actually give another example. You know, I understand what you're saying about ringside commentary. That those sure. people have half-baked knowledge. It's half-baked knowledge. It's misguided. And they've not uh, studied Gandhi scientifically. You yeah, know? Well, that's, that is They're true. It looks patriarchal or whatever. But anyway, having said that, let's move on. You might think this is another case of sort of looking for negativity, but this is something I hear. I'm Jewish, that is my ethnic heritage is Jewish. I consider myself more of a Buddhist um, in terms of my own beliefs, but many 
Jewish Americans have heard that Gandhi made a statement, which, and, and, and by the way, again, I'm all in for Gandhi. So I am usually the one who explains to them, but at the same time, I want to tell you this conversation that I have to have, that there was apparently a statement which is taken to mean that Jewish defense against Hitler should have been to be willing to die. And I am so offended that many of my Jewish American friends and relatives believe this untruth because I know, first of all, that you know Gandhi was very aware of Jewish identity, Herbert, I think Herbert, what was the name? His, uh, a very close associate of his in South Africa. Kallenbach. Thank you. Yes, mm-hmm. Kallenbach. I, yes, I'm a little rusty on my history. I think when Gandhi was saying that, he was coming from a point of identification with the Jewish people, saying that he and all brave people would stand up and be willing to die for what is right. And there is nothing wrong with saying that. However, this has become a trope. It's become a trope that is used to criticize Gandhi. And so I'm maybe it's just something I want to sort of transmit to you over the ocean here, um, that here in America, Mm -hmm. those of us who know how important Gandhi is, and I am one of them, need to preserve his reputation. I have nothing against canceling somebody who deserves to be canceled, but no way does Gandhi deserve to be canceled. But, but these are issues that are real here. So any other thoughts on that? Yeah, so here also, as you rightly said, it's an untruth. It's absolutely untruth. Remember, he was a man of nonviolence. In fact, people are so angry with him, the Indians also, because he said that we should have a, a peace army. And then people said, what if Pakistan attacks our enemy? Yes. This doesn't yes. matter. You know, you can lay down. It's, it requires greater courage to die than to kill. Right. He said, so what? Let them lay down their lives. And right. one, there will be a heart change in the other person. And that and bravery. Said, yeah. I also want to point out that that was Martin Luther King on the bridge in yeah. Selma. It's the mm. same thing. You, you have to yeah. ultimately... When you're yeah. facing evil, you yeah, have so to stand up and risk your life. And then he also says that the bloodshed, people said so many lives will be lost. He said in war also, they will be lost. Right. But here, maybe the other person will have a heart change. That's what nonviolent resistance and the Quakers is all about. Yeah. Your yeah. heart change in the other. The, you, oh. you bring out the truth in the other. Mm-hmm. Right? So it is from that point of view, he said that. So if he's criticized on that ground, it's absolutely unfounded and very sad. It's very sad. It it makes me sad because I don't think there's anybody who should shut shut Gandhi's message out of their life. There's nobody who doesn't need that message. Torn out of context. So you were telling the story (laughs) and we got off many diversions here. Um, Where were we in your progress to- and discovering Gandhi, right? And why I fell in love with Gandhi, let's put it that way. From, I was indifferent and then what happened? So as I told you, he had this, um, uh, you know, one thing leads to another, but I told you, he said, no, that take away my belief in faith and I will die. So I thought I really cannot study this man Mm -hmm. because I was Marxist and I was atheist, grew up in a, I was not spiritual. Just because I was born Hindu, so I was Hindu, you know. That's why I told you about my grandmother and she would say, you're Christian or whatever, you know. So I, had very, I was very Catholic in my beliefs. So uh, so that was also very irritating. But then it was very irritating, you know, that this Gandhi, why does he do such a thing? 
but then i always then a part of me also said i have to be fair this man did so much and you know so there may be some truth in that right so then i, I wanted to discover the truth in that mm. because i was not a believer i did right. not have a spiritual equation with the universe right. or whoever you may call god or truth or whatever mm -hmm. so then i thought okay let me see so then i thought okay let's find out now gandhi calls the bhagavad gita you know the gita Sure, of course. Yeah, the holy book. Yeah. So he calls it my spiritual reference book, and he calls it my mother, and he says that whenever I am in doubt, I open the Gita and I find a solution. Mm -hmm. So now, of course, I had read the Gita in the sense every Hindu knows about the Gita, the main right. things, you know, it is read in the family, you know how it is, but never mm -hmm. really read, read the Gita, you know, not really. Right. So then, I, and you know, Gandhi, he's uh, he's also very irritating. He he read the he, he memorized the Gita every he would every day while brushing his teeth memorize one stanza. Wow! I thought, oh my God, now what to do? But I wanted to know about the Gita. I said, what is this belief in God? What is it? You know, right. I don't have it. So then then I took a vow. <laughs> also, I was uh, just a lecturer, and uh, you know that I will not eat until I have read one chapter of the Gita. Wow. So there wow. I was on the, you know, the bus going to college, the special, you special, we call it the university special, reading my Gita in the staff room, here, there, everywhere, because how can I eat until I read? So then, and it was only one chapter at a time, okay? But then, because I wanted to know, what is this belief in God? Now mm -hmm. then, so then, you know, um, I, well, I read the Gita, I memorized it, and uh, I've given lectures on it or whatever. That's different. I mean, I got to know. And there was something which really struck me in the Gita. And this is the turning point in my life, if you would like to say that. Sure. And, you know, uh, because, um, uh, you know, Gandhi's autobiography is my experiments with truth. Yes. Right. So then I thought that if Gandhi can experiment with truth, and why should I not experiment with the Gita? Hmm. So many things are written there. Are they true or not? So now there is one stanza in the Gita which says, and I quote, and by the way, I read Gandhi's Gita. You know, Gandhi has also written a commentary on the Gita. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called, he wrote it in Gujarati and then his secretary uh, translated it into English. It's called the Gita according to Gandhi. And okay. Anasakti, Anasakti means the gospel of selfless detachment. Mm. Yes. So I read Gandhi's commentary on the Gita. You know, there have been a lot of learned commentaries on the Gita. Lot, lots of Okay. And in my PhD thesis, I've shown how Gandhi's, uh, you know, interpretation of the Gita is closer to the text because he practiced what he wrote, read. Anyway, mm. that's another story. It says, uh, I quote, it says, uh, Lord Krishna tells Arjun, you know, it's a dialogue between Lord sure. Krishna and the battlefield. Well, maybe so, you should, maybe you should explain it. I mean, I know the story, but maybe explain for people who are listening. Um, I mean, it's the battle. This is the story in uh, Mahabharata. The story of the Pandavas and the Kauravas and how, uh, you know, that they were um, engaged in battle and then uh, the, he did not want to, um, the Pandavan, Arjun, the leader, he didn't, when he was going to battle, he suddenly had a existential crisis. Right. And he said, no, the people I'm going to fight with are my relatives, their blood, right. their and I cannot do this. 
I cannot do this. So the whole dialogue is on Krishna, who was his charioteer. Krishna, right. the Krishna appeared, a, right? Appeared to yeah, him. Yeah, he was his charioteer, and there's a big story right. on how he became that. That's another story. So now, so then he said, "Okay, let me explain to you. You know what? What is what? In fact, there's a lot of controversy that uh, uh, you know the the Gita says you must fight, right? Use violence." There also Gandhi has a theory about the Gita, which I can come back to later. So then that is the the sermon that you know he gives him right. about, oh, and then I mean, it runs into eighteen chapters, right? So yeah. now let me quote. So I was reading a chapter every day. Now mm. this particular stanza really hit me. It says, "Lord Krishna is telling Arjun, uh, as for those who worship me, as for those who worship me." thinking on me alone and nothing else thinking on me alone and nothing else ever attached to me ever attached to me i bear the burden of getting them what they need i was just stupefied by this stanza look at it that if you worship me and only me that you know you only rely on me then i bear the burden Look at the word burden. You know, mm -hmm. now burden you only see in a mother and child relationship. You know, when right. the child okay. she bears the burden. The the child is not saying I'm wet, change my nappy. The child mm -hmm. is not saying I'm hungry, feed me. And the you're like, you know, burning, know that right. I'm a mother too. So we're all watching TV, but I could hear the baby cry. Nobody else. You know how there's this symbol yes. yes. between the two. You know, so I bear the burden of getting them what they need. I thought, my goodness, what is this? How can you say this? You know, so I thought I have to experiment. So let me just finish. So this is the turning point in my life. I said I have to experiment on this. How can how can it be possible? You know. So now it's a very mundane thing. And now, of course, uh, we are uh, we have pipeline gas. You know, gas connection. Yes. Uh, we use gas to cook. Cooking gas. Sure. Only recently, since about four or five years, well, six years, we have pipeline gas. Okay. Before that, we had to get gas cylinders. Okay. So when your year was over, you had to order another one. So now, one day, some friends, you know, there was a dinner party in the evening, mm -hmm. and uh, I ran out of gas in the cylinder. Okay. Now, okay. how to cook? how to cook? I thought, my God, what am I? And I had booked my cylinder. But it had not come yet. Often it could take three days, four days, you know. But then, uh, so, but I, I, I had booked it to two days in advance. It hadn't come. I thought, my God, what am I going to do? What am I got, going to do? So at that moment of frustration, I told God, I said, whoever you are, I don't know who you are, whoever you are, if you bear the burden of getting me what I need, mm. can you see what I need right now is a gas cylinder? If you are there and you are listening to me, then mm -hmm. fulfill your promise. Give, get me a gas cylinder. <laughs> and Mark, I can't tell you, this, this thought had just come in my mind. And mm -hmm. I, you know, the gas cylinder man, he would come with his bell, ting, 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 mm -hmm. ting. You know, I, you know, I looked from the kitchen windows. We were on a, a third uh -huh. floor that time, living there. And I looked out and there was this guy with the gas cylinder. <laughs> wow. By the way, it was not mine, you know, mm. but at that time you could pay extra money and get, get it in. Called him in, yeah. 
and so my goodness i just ran down and i told him please please bhaiya means okay you know I, uh, we always say bhaiya we are a very relationship relationship oriented society so you'll call brother you know you say uncle brother you never say mr so and so you know so i said please i, I really need the gas please help me please give me so he said okay okay ma'am i'll give you so he brought my cylinder three floors up we didn't have a lift in that building mm -hmm. and i got a cylinder so mark i That's got right. so shocked i was i was shocked you know there is um, tolstoy says um, that um, uh, sometimes no matter what the position of the body the soul is on its knees yeah that's no matter right. well, the soul that's what yeah. happened to me mark I, my soul was on its knees yeah. i thought how can this be possible i i couldn't get up i i was you so know, shocked i have to this say this this is a very interesting thing for me to hear yeah. because yeah. really you're describing a spiritual experience like yeah, a, but an epiphany that was the day my starting relationship with whoever you want to call god Wow. So, okay. Whatever. And for me, it doesn't matter. They're all one, whether it's the Jewish God or the Hindu God or the sure. Islam. Which is what Gandhi no said. Problem. Yes. No problem. The the unit. It's all one. So right. the universe, whatever. So that was my starting point. Even as I tell you this story, uh, I get goosebumps. You know, because uh -huh. I I was just so shocked. And then, of course, that began my journey with that. You know. Yeah. And. Uh, and i'll tell you one more instance because then that strengthened my belief one mm -hmm. more and then we can move sure. on because that was my beginning of my spiritual journey you know my mm -hmm. meditation my prayers my the the awareness that who i am is a part of some other identity you know the the good part of me or right. the soul or whatever you may want to call it i was not in any case i was a Uh, you know, philosophers had studied Indian philosophy, but suddenly those things made sense. Suddenly, mm -hmm. I just thought it in a very scholarly way, you know, never meaning anything. Right. One instance, and then we can. I, I'll do whatever you want. I can answer your questions. Sure. So you know, I, I was teaching abroad. Yeah, I was uh, in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. I had to. I had to go for a lecture. Now, whenever I go for lecture abroad, I lecture abroad a lot. I always wear a sari. You know, a sari. Yes. Yards of cloth you drape around you. Sure. <laughs> Indian women, and you know you always have. We when I'm lecturing abroad, I must tuck it in, pin, put a pin on it. Mm hmm. Inside, you know, otherwise it will fall. You know that thing that goes up because you're writing on the board, etc. You know, in the lecture. Now, uh, obviously, uh, you know there was there was no pin in that house because there was no people don't wear sarees abroad, right? Right. And. So, uh, So I I just told God I was so frustrated I thought my God going to that place in India very often a woman will have a safety pin in her purse we mm -hmm. need but who is going to have a safety pin in their purse abroad I thought my God this is so irritating so irritating I'll be lecturing there this thing will keep following I'll have to keep putting it up you know that thing we put on the shoulder pallu mm -hmm. so I told again God I don't know you bear the burden of getting me what I need get me a safety pin. <laughs> i just i so frustrated i said you bear the burden so bear it tell me give it to me na this is right. what i need mm -hmm. and i just um, you know got ready took my bag together you know my books papers and all and i walked out of the house and the door used to close by itself so i closed the door 
and I just by chance looked down on the threshold. Can you imagine yeah. there was a safety pin there? <laughs> wow. My God, I got such a shock. Now you may say what? So then obviously I picked up that safety pin and again, I was so shocked. I was, you know, <laughs> shaken yeah. up and I, of course I put it and well, I mean, so, so let me, voila, let me ask you sorry. something. I'm sort of sharing something very personal with you. No, this, I, I love, I love these stories. And I want to ask you now, you, what you're describing sounds to me like an opening to spirituality in your life, but what was your religious upbringing? Because you mentioned that you were in a, you know, a, a comfortable family um, and that you're of Hindu background. Why, why was it not until adulthood that you began to have religious experiences? You know, if that's what that was, or, you know, that this, you're opening to God, as you say, you know, why? It was not a religious experience. It was a spiritual okay. experience. Gotcha. It was a spiritual experience. Of course, I was born in a, a Hindu family, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, did all the, uh, you know, we have a lot of rituals, etc. The rituals, I was never really ritualistic. Right. But I went along with the family and, you know, like you have the Shabbat and all that, you know, you do it. But, uh, you know, but you see beyond the ritual and all that. But then I went along with that. And of course, uh, uh, you know, I was religious in the sense, if I'd been born Christian, I would do that. If I was born Jewish, I would have done that. Mm -hmm. you know, it didn't matter. If I was a Muslim, I would have gone and read the Quran. How does it right. matter, you know? But so I was, no, I was religious because I was born a Hindu. And of right. course, but I was also a little bit of an atheist, a little bit of Marxist, you know, when you're 24, you're young, you read mm -hmm. Marx, you know, you're a socialist, you want uh, everyone, equality, this liberty, fraternity, equality is very important, you know, how you are at that time. So, yeah. so but I was not spiritual. I did not have a relationship with God. Right, right. And that is, so that, so that, but of course, um, and here, let me also tell you another story. Promise I won't say anything after this. <laughs> When I've been lecturing in Sweden, I did one postdoctoral research in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And then for 18 years, I went back every year to teach, uh, to give 10 lectures in Sweden. Okay, every year on Gandhi conflict resolution, etc. Okay. Now, I also went to gymnasiums. You know gymnasium? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The last three years, two years of school. Why? Because when I first went to Sweden and did my, uh, for my postdoctoral degree, Attenborough's film had just been released. Okay. It was very, so everybody was Gaga in Europe, you know, and there I was, you know, you, I was there for one and a half year for my postdoctoral work. So gradually mm -hmm. you friends and school teachers and, you know, so they all started saying that, oh, you're a Gandhian scholar. I'm showing the Gandhi film. Come and answer questions. Come and talk to my students, you know. So I said, okay, why not? So I'm just telling you this. So uh, in one case, when I went to a gymnasium, these were 18 and 19 year olds. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, very, I started giving my lecture on nonviolence that how basically nonviolence is not physical. It's also structural, it's um, mental, it's, uh, you know, uh, but, and, but it, it's also spiritual. Mm -hmm. There are many kinds of, uh, there are many kinds of violence, no? Right. Violence structural, physical, you know, and also uh, 
uh, you know, also spiritual and the root cause is the spiritual. From that, everything comes. So then I just started saying, you see, because the human, human being is at least body, mind and spirit. And mm -hmm. when you neglect the spirit and only cultivate the body and mind through education, through lifestyle, you know, you become, mm -hmm. a, you become a materialistic society. So then you neglect the society, uh, the, uh, the spirit, and then that is spiritual violence. So now one young boy, 19 year old, got up in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he said, no, no, I disagree. We are only body and mind. We are not spirit. Mm -hmm. So now I got such a shock, you know, that how can somebody say that? And you see the, the, the word is Atma for spirit in Hindi. Right. You know, in Atma. Right. Atma. Mahatma. Yeah. Mahatma, but that's a, a great soul. So soul is spirit. No? This yes. Atma. So then I thought, uh, I, I, even though I was an atheist or whatever, I could have never got up and said, I'm not Atma because you are only Atma. Right. That is what goes on in the next birth, you know. Yeah. So I was how can this person not believe in Atma? Then I stopped my lecture there. And then I, using the Socratic method, mm -hmm. question and answer, it was very interesting conversation. The rest of the 45 minutes I spent convincing them that they were spirit, you know. And then of course I went home and I was a little bit sad. Hmm. But I was very happy that the, 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 what you, the teacher called me and said that, you know, uh, the students are very uh, sad that they did not allow you to finish your lecture. Please come back next Wednesday and finish mm. it. So when I went back, they all had agreed that they were spirit. Uh, so I'm just trying. Wow. Yeah. So I, it's it's a so it's not that I was atheist in the atheist sense. Of course, I believed I was Atma, but I was not really spiritually oriented. No relationship with God. You're emphasizing this spiritual connection to the universe to God. How do you, as a spiritual person, deal with the troubles of the world? Well, uh, uh, you are also, I think, a spiritual person. Yes. I think you're spiritual first and then Jewish. Like I'm also spiritual first and then Hindu, okay. Definitely. But yeah. uh, and do you think uh, that is the most important part of life? That is the core. And the rest, of course, is very important. But without that core, life is very meaningless. Again, of course, it is my opinion and my, not my opinion, my experience. It comes down to, to me, your connection with the world, which should be an empathetic and, you know, generous and open connection with the world. And if you are a materialistic person, that doesn't encourage that openness. So, um, uh, my postdoctoral research on, in Sweden was the peace Swedish peace movement's relevance to Gandhi. You know, mm -hmm. Gandhian relevance to the peace movement in Scandinavia. Okay. Gandhi's relevance, if any, to the peace movement in Scandinavia. That was my research topic for my postdoctoral research. Interesting. So now okay. I ended up interviewing a lot of peace organizations, you know. It was that Pershing two missiles that should not be launched and all that. And there was a women for peace and freedom, Christians for disarmament. Uh, Okay. Uh, full of uh, sweet uh, peace movements. So I interviewed them, etc., etc. And of course, in one and a half year, you know, you get influenced by all the activism there. So when I came back is in 1992, I started Shanti Sayog. Okay. And by the way, this is also look what the universe does. 
there is something called the Cooperation for Peace in Sweden. Okay. Cooperation for Peace as an NGO in Sweden, where I was lecturing, etc. And they told me, can we not have a uh, Cooperation for Peace in India? And then, you know, work together, do peace study tours, exchange of scholars, peacemaking, people to people peacemaking, etc, etc, etc. So I said, okay. So I said, when I was registering it, I said, look, the, 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 we have to have an Indian name and cooperation for peace translates into Shanti Sahyog. Ah, and cooperation yeah. is Sahyog. So that is how Shanti Sahyog was born. But just imagine, this also the universe has pre-planned. Yes. There is no, yes. no such thing as coincidence, Mark. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is, it's, it is all synchronicity. It's all Carl Jung, you know, uses that word divine planning, synchronicity. Yes. You know, the collective mm -hmm. consciousness of humankind. Yes. It's not it is also synchronicity that you talk to me today. Um, we've been talking a long time. Yeah. Um, I think we should wrap up. This has been really wonderful. Glad that our organizations are affiliates. We do a little music with each episode. There's an opera called mm -hmm. Satyagraha by um, Philip Glass. That will be the music for this episode. Um, would you like to say any final thoughts for our listeners or for the world? Uh, yeah, I think um, I would just like to say maybe that would be another interview, but that uh, we have planned out a whole strategy of how to go about this. Mm -hmm. You know, how to mobilize people, how to collect signatures, how symbols are important because in a non-violent resistance, you only have symbols and people, okay? So the symbols like we are collecting $3.5 million, asking everyone who signed send $1, because it's a lot of money. Then we ask everyone to do a fast on their birthday, a fruit fast, you know, personal life, a personal protest against war. Then we ask people to do a candlelight vigil, mm -hmm. uh, you know, stand again, 1000 people with 18, a candle stand with the 18 bulbs, you sing mm -hmm. and dance, that's symbolic of 18,000 children. Then you snuff out the candles, make a, a you know, a, in a small video, show it on national TV, 18,000 children die. What can you do? Choose nonviolent defense. So like that, so on, we have t-shirts, right. etc. How to spread the awareness about this. Right. The quote from Gandhi, the war, war system is an injustice. You may not be able to change the injustice at once, but you can always choose not to cooperate with it at once. Mm -hmm. Yes. So my final appeal to everyone working for peace or beyond war, wherever who are individuals, organizations, peace organizations, is that let us come together and not cooperate with the war system. Yes. Thank you. Okay, well said, Suman. Thank you.
thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Our podcast is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating. Visit worldbeyondwar.org to learn more about the social and environmental impacts of the war machine and get involved in the movement for a world beyond war. Not the war. Not the war. Not the war.